Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. O gracious and most merciful Father, we thank you and give you praise for that you have given us your word. We pray this very morning that we would not just live on bread alone, but we would live and love every word that comes from the mouth of God. That we would cherish your word. You would write it upon our hearts. That would it would dwell within us richly, Lord. That you would comfort us this very day. That we would see your goodness in dark times, Lord. But even if we are in good times today, we pray that you would help us to be able to cherish this. That we might be able to recollect when things might turn, when we might lose things. Lord, we would be able to say that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Psalm 23. This morning I'm going to be reading from Young's Literal Translation, which is an older translation uh, which seeks to be able to be very literal, as you can see. Uh, But let me read Psalm 23 from Young's Literal Translation. Hear now the word of the Lord. A Psalm of David. Jehovah is my shepherd, I do not lack. In pastures of tender grass he causes me to lie down. By quiet waters he doth lead me. My soul he refresheth. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Also, when I walk in the valley of death's shade, I fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. Thou arrangest before me a table over against my adversaries. Thou hast anointed with oil my head. My cup is full. Only goodness and kindness pursue me all the days of my life. And my dwelling is in the house of Jehovah for a length of days. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. The psalmist has painted a new picture, a new scene of that of the believer. That now, instead of a shepherd, he is the gracious and great host. And as we looked at last, the passage last week, we saw what type of host he was. But now the the shift of the psalmist looks not at the picture that is painted, but the menu that is before us as his guests. What does the Lord as the gracious host serve his guests? What benefits are given to believers who sit at the Lord's table? Like many lines in this psalm, I think we often just have this poetic understanding of what it means. We hear words like goodness or mercy and we merely just gloss over them. But in these two words, we find out more about the host. We find out more about the blessings which He gives His guests. Over the next two weeks, we'll spend some time trying to understand these two blessings given from this gracious host. 
We're going to do this for a couple of reasons. The first is, these are common words that we use in our vocabulary. We use them frequently. We can say, how are we? We are good. And in that, it is merely just a common reply. This is a standard response to the question. Your day is not leveled. A good day, a bad day. There's no in-between. So when we understand this word goodness, we often come to it with some form of tainted understanding because we use it frequently. Secondly, words are often hijacked. Over time, they're, they're taken and used in common vocabulary and their meaning has shifted. Over time, their use changes. And we often, as they become more common, they lose their grandeur and power. I don't hear it frequently now, but when I was growing up, it was awesome, was the word. (laughs) When we use it so commonly, we lose the power that this is full of awe. When we talk about God as being awesome, it's so different from how we use it in our everyday speech. So too with the word good and mercy. We lose their meaning, their power. But thirdly, these are the words of David. That we seek to be able to live not by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David, as he penned Psalm 23, speaks of this gracious host, this great and powerful host, and he does not say, grace and justice will follow me all the days of my life. He says, goodness and mercy. So we will seek some time to be able to unpack what this actually means for the benefits of the believer as the the great host has set this menu before us. We first see that it is a sure goodness. A sure goodness. Before we understand goodness, we need to look at what the word that precedes it. In the ESV, it says, surely, goodness and mercy. As we read before in the Young's little translation, it says, only. Goodness and kindness will pursue me. There are many things that we might not know on this pilgrim journey. We will not understand certain things that happen in our lives that leave the question, why? There are not many things that we will know for certain. But there are things that I can say that are true. That we do know. We can have, and with assurance and certainty. Paul says in Romans 8.28, For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. He doesn't go and explain all of those good things, but what we know is in the end, that God has a plan and a purpose, and it is good. Or just the chapter before in Romans, Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. 
So we can know that God uses all things for good. But there's also an assurance that we know that there is nothing good in me, Paul says. John writes in 1 John chapter 3, For you know that He appeared to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. There are things that believers can look to the Word and say without a doubt, I know this to be true. And in Psalm 23, David writes that I know, I have assurance that goodness and mercy shall follow me. There's times in David's life where he does not know what tomorrow will look like. 2 Samuel chapter 15, as he's leaving Jerusalem, he cries out and says, If the Lord would show me favor then I might look upon the ark again. He does not know if he's going to survive the attack of his son Absalom. But even in this time, the psalmist is able to be able to write in Psalm 23 this bold assertion that surely that any believer who walks through this barren land can have this promise of certainty. Now I'm always cautious about making such a bold claim to sound like some form of guarantee. Many preachers preach more like a used car salesman with false warranties and false promises. However, there are some promises in the Bible that are sure not because of the preacher preaching them, but the God who wrote them. We can say this is what God has said He would do. Now when we understand we have biblical promises, we then need to define that biblical terms through the Bible. To understand the terms of that promise. Not then to be able to twist it and redefine what we think that means. We need the biblical definition of these promises. For example, in in 2 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy and and says, for those who live a godly life will suffer persecution. Now that does not mean because we suffer persecution, we're living a godly life. We can walk around wearing the name of Christ, saying that we're Christians, have people not like us because we're brash, rude, arrogant, trying to proclaim the gospel of grace with no grace at all, And when people turn around and say, persecute us, we say, well, I'm just godly. That's why they're persecuting me. Well, a biblical promise needs a biblical definition. That is persecution not based on merely just persecution equals godly. But it's for Jesus' name's sake. Mainly, a person is persecuted for their faith in Jesus. And David writes in the 23rd Psalm the promise of these two blessings that the believer will have in this life. As the Lord is their shepherd, or the image of the Lord is the gracious host, that goodness and mercy shall follow them all the days of the life. And we have this sure assurance of this goodness that will follow us. 
So this week we'll look at the assurance of goodness, and next week we'll look at the assurance of mercy. We have assure goodness, and we have the fount of goodness. The first assurance that the psalmist points out in Psalm 23 is that believers will have goodness that follows them. The promise that we have is that those who call the Lord their shepherd will have goodness following them. If any time we have a warning of misusing a biblical definition in the wrong way, I think often we think of it, and it is the word good. Isaiah warns in Isaiah chapter 5, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. We have a warning that is scriptural that says, not only can we misunderstand goodness, we can actually misapply goodness and call it evil altogether and call goodness evil. It's not merely just a a minor misunderstanding of the term, it's a complete opposite use of the term altogether. It's not merely to distort the definition, but to switch the definition. That good is evil and evil is good, light is dark, dark is light, bitter is sweet, sweet is bitter. So when we read Psalm 23, and we say, goodness shall follow me all the days of my life, we need to understand that we are speaking of a biblical definition of good, and not that just which we think is good. For Isaiah says that, The world will call evil good and good evil. So when we ask the questions that any believer might ask in this life, why? Why is it like this? Where is my goodness? We need to understand and and take a step back to understand this word. Not in the ideas of the world, with a solid biblical definition. And to understand this, we need to go back to the fount. The very claim. Not just what is goodness, but where is goodness found. We see God is good. Did you understand the biblical definition of goodness? You must trace the stream back to the original fountainhead. And that is God. Goodness then is not some feeling or emotion, a category in which we might define things. Goodness comes from God. As we'll see, because God is good, that is where goodness comes from. You can't then divide God into parts and say, well, this is the good part of God. This is the holy part of God. His holiness is His goodness and His goodness is His holiness. In God, there are no parts. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks the question, what is God? The answer is saying, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness and in truth and truth in his being god the essence of god you find 
is wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And all of these are inseparable. He is the most wise in His justice. This is who God is. God does not only do good things, He is good. Therefore, all that He does is good. To reverse it, to look at ourselves, we are sinners first, and then we sin. We're not labeled sinners because we sin. We're sinners first. That is who we are. Born under Adam, original corruption, original sin. We're born and we sin. Because sin is within us. But with God, all things stem from His essence, who He is. That He is good. David writes in Psalm 25, and in other places, good and upright is God. God is good. Thomas Manton explains, He is originally good. Good in, of Himself. Which nothing else is. For all creatures are good only by participation and communication from God. He is essentially good. Not only good, but goodness itself. The creature's good is superadded quality in God. It is His essence. He is infinitely good. The creature's good is but a drop. But in God, there is an infinite ocean or gathering together of good. He is eternally and immutably good. For He cannot be less good than He is. As there can be no addition made to Him and no subtraction made from Him. That God, as He says, originally good, essentially good, Infinitely good, eternally good, immutably good. When a young man comes up to Jesus and asks him a question, what must he do to eternal, inherit eternal life? Jesus doesn't focus on his legal question to begin with. He focuses on an adjective that he calls him. Good teacher, this young man said to Jesus. Jesus turns around and says, why do you call me good? For no one is good except God alone. And we don't have time to be able to unpack this interaction. But in this statement, Jesus makes a great philosophical and theological statement. He sums it up and says, God is good. And God alone is good. Implied in this is Jesus saying He is God. He does not deny this man's claim that He is good teacher but this is his essence God's essence who he is God is good Stephen Carnock Carnock says that has a great book called the existence and attributes of God in this book he has a chapter that explains the goodness of God he explains that God is good as he is God and therefore good by himself and from himself not by participation from another. He made everything good, but none made Him good. Where does goodness come from? It comes from God. The fount of goodness. 
His essence flows forth. Now, many people fail to understand this. And what they do is they exchange the truth about God for a lie. That truth about God is God is good, and they exchange it for a lie. Or they switch it, and they say that God is evil. And here is a great danger for us. That we assume that God is like us. He's evil or bad. Now many questions seek to hit at this very doctrine of God's goodness. There is a great distinction between asking, why did this happen to me? Compared to saying, why did this evil happen to me? Or why did God do this evil thing to me? One, one of these questions focuses on the situation and the circumstance. The other switches and seeks to place God in the dock, the stand, to be able to ask the lawyer's questions. Charnock defines God's goodness as the bounty of God. J.I. Packer uses a similar definition to be, define God's goodness as God's cosmic generosity. His goodness is who He is. And He gives good things to those around Him. Now interestingly, in Exodus chapter 33, when Moses asked for the, to be able to show Him His glory, God actually responds and says, I will make your my goodness pass before you. Moses asked, show me your glory, God. And God turns around and says, I'll show you my glory. My goodness shall pass before you. This is why Charnock explains that his goodness is a train of all his lovely perfections. Louis Burkhoff states that goodness from God comes from his inexhaustible foundation. And as God's goodness passes before Moses, the Lord says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love of thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but all who by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That as God's glory, His goodness passes before Him, the Lord cries out, what is this goodness? This goodness is summed up in who God is. Merciful, gracious, patient, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Forgiving those, His justice, that God is goodness and goodness is God. And then now when we hear that goodness shall follow me all the days of my life, we might have previously thought that good things will follow us. But again, we forget where that fount comes from. The giver of the gift is the thing that makes it good or bad. The difference between a good doctor and a bad doctor is not that they both prescribe medicine. A good doctor and a bad doctor will prescribe the right medicine for a good doctor and the wrong medicine for a bad doctor. 
And God is the one who is good in Himself. That Thus praise should flow through our lips that we praise God for His goodness. In God there is perfect goodness. You cannot make God more good. Or even to put it more incorrect in English, God is the gooderest. He is the most good. You cannot add this. But not only that is who God is, the fount of goodness, but the fount that flows forth this goodness. That not only that God is good, but God then gives His goodness. Sarnak explains the goodness of God is His inclination to deal well and bountifully with His creatures. The goodness not only is the bounty of God, but His bounty shared with His creatures. It's not only that He is full of goodness, but He shares that goodness. He shows, He deals goodness with His creatures. All of them. This is why after creation, God is able to say that all is very good. But because of God's goodness, everything that He does, He is, is good. He gives good. James says that every good and perfect gift comes from God. Jesus explains that a man is evil. But even this evil man, this evil father can give good gifts. But God, our Father in heaven, gives good things to those who ask Him. Garnick unpacks this idea of goodness as found in generosity. Generosity where we are unable to be able to pay anything back. And God gives good things without losing of His goodness. No one can repay Him for the goodness shown to His creatures. God is the fountainhead of all goodness, and goodness springs forth from Him. The psalmist writes in Psalm 104, when you give it to them, they will gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. In another place, Thomas writes in Psalm 84, The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. All creation has received of God's goodness. We see God's giving of His goodness in the works of creation, but also through providence. This is A.I. Packer summarized. This is God's cosmic generosity. From His goodness stems good things to all. But particularly to believers. To those who make that bold statement, the Lord is my shepherd. He is my great host. They shall have an abundance of goodness that follows them all the days of their life. That they can make that statement of great assurance. Now God's Gift of goodness is enough to pay for your abundance of badness. Jesus said, no one is good except for God alone. Paul quoting Psalm 14 and Isaiah 53 says that no one does good. Terry Johnson summarizes Charnock's teaching of how the fall was really a misunderstanding. The failure of Adam and Eve to truly understand God's goodness. 
Johnson summarizes Genesis 3 by saying, first, they doubt God's goodness. Did, they, did he really say? Next, they deny God's goodness. Oh, you will not surely die. And thirdly, they defy God's goodness by eating the forbidden fruit. Paul later explains that we see the goodness of God in the gospel. This is why we call it good news. He says in Romans 5, For why we were still weak, at the right time God, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps a good person, one would die, e- even to die. But God shows His love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel shows of how bad we are, how mis- we, we fail to understand God's goodness by walking against what he calls good and calling good evil and evil good. But when we can see God's goodness in his creation, his providence, but also his redemption, That His goodness doesn't, isn't just seen in creation and providence, but also in redemption. Charnock again says, Divine goodness would not be able to stand by a spectator without being reviver of that misery man had plunged himself into. But by astonishing method, methods, it would recover him to happiness. Who had wrestled himself out of his hands to fling himself on the most deplorable calamity and it is the greater sense it surmounted those natural inclinations and those strong provocations which he had to shower down the power of his wrath. Not only all creation should declare God's goodness, but how much more does the believer proclaim God's goodness? There is not only something shown through his eyes and his senses, but He has saved him from his badness. The Apostle John speaks of this good gift given from God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And Charnock sums this up beautifully. See in all of this, this glorious gospel. The cost goodness was for man's redemption. In creation, his power made the sun shine upon us. And in redemption, his bowels sent a son to die for us. His goodness comes from God. The fount of God is given by God. But it's also a pursuing goodness. David writes in the 23rd Psalm that goodness follows me all the days of my life. Maybe a blunter way to be able to translate this, but this would say that goodness pursues me all the days of my life. Often this word is that of of a pursuit of an enemy chasing down an enemy. That it seeks to be able to attack Pursuit with persistence. 
And often we think about these good things as health, wealth, happiness. However, when we understand that God is good and gives good things, then our definition changes. Something is not good because of itself, but where it comes from. The cut of a doctor is different from a cut of an enemy. Many people seek good things in this life, but their end is ruined, for it is bad for them. The world focuses on good things, but the believer says that only good things come from God who is good. Just as the author of Hebrews points out, the discipline comes from God the Father. Discipline is good. It's painful. It's not pleasant, but it is good because it comes from God the Father. The world says sin is good. But sin leads to death. Goodness followed David when he was in the darkest valley. Goodness was around him when he was surrounded by his enemy. A non-believer questions the goodness of God, but the believer trusts in the goodness of God, even in the bad seasons of their life. We understand that this pursuit of goodness is the pursuit of of God. We see the goodness of God and the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul writes again in Romans 8 that the goodness of God works out in the end. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. And then after this, Paul jumps in to be able to explain the great golden chain of salvation, ending in the glorification of the believer. That we might not know a lot in this life. But Psalm 23 teaches us that we can know that goodness will follow the believer. The one who is the true sheep of the shepherd. The guest of the great host will know of this goodness because they know of the great host or the good shepherd. They will love this goodness. No matter what form it comes in their life, they will give thanks to His goodness and the good gifts which He gives, even if the world says that that is an evil thing. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.